Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. In each episode, I present a small batch of a theory and practices behind building a high-velocity software organization. Topics include DevOps, Lean, software architecture, continuous delivery, and conversations with industry leaders. Now, let's begin today's episode. Hello again. Adam here for the next episode of Small Batches. Just two quick things before I introduce today's guest. First, Small Batches has a listener request line. Call into plus one nine three three eight three three one nine one two and leave your request in a voicemail. We're getting down to the end of the interview backlog, so it's time for me to start planning future solo episodes. I've received one request for an episode on value streams. So, dear listener out there who made that request, roger that. I've lined up some amazing guests to discuss the topic and will put together a solo episode just for you. Preference for future episodes goes to listener requests, so call in, tell me what you want, and you'll probably get it. Second is the Small Batches Listener Survey. This is a short five-minute survey designed to tell me a bit about you and help drive the narrative thread on the podcast. Find a link in the show notes. Now on to today's guest. Today I'm speaking with Keith Pitt. He is the founder of BuildKite.com. BuildKite is a platform for running fast, secure, and scalable deployment pipelines on your own infrastructure. It is by far and hands down my favorite tool for the job. It's rare in my experience to find software that just works well and stays out of your way like BuildKite does. Now, this episode is not a pitch for BuildKite, but believe me, I am not shy about proclaiming my love for it in our conversation. I invited Keith on the show to discuss continuous delivery inside a software company building continuous delivery tools. I thought it would be a nice look behind the curtain in a way to see how they approach building these tools. Now, I gotta say that I was smiling ear to ear during the conversation. First, because frankly, I admire Keith. He built BuildKite from the ground up into a successful business that's now his full-time focus. That's no small effort, and it should be commended. And a little sidebar there. He actually pitched BuildKite to me probably six or so years ago at a RailsConf speaker's dinner. I think I said something along the lines of, I don't think that's going to work. Well, the joke's on me because it worked, and it's fantastic. The other reason is because I just assumed that the engineering team was following continuous delivery. Oh no, it's even better. They're following continuous deployment. So, dear listener, if you need a North Star to guide you in your software delivery journey, then just listen to Keith. Their engineering practices at BuildKite are top-notch, so if they can do it, then you can too. Now, I have one final request for you before we get into the episode. This was Keith's first ever podcast appearance. So if you enjoy our conversation and want to hear more from Keith, then tweet him and let him know. Now, here's my conversation with Keith Pitt. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. I'm so happy to talk to you today. So I already gave a a bit of an introduction to you and what you do, but why don't you give the listener a little bit of background on Bill Kite and how the company started and what you do with the company now. Yeah, we will do. So hi, everybody. I'm Keith. I'm the uh, CTO and co-founder of BuildKite. If you haven't heard of BuildKite, BuildKite is a uh, CI-CD platform, but it's 
It's a little bit different than some of the CI/CD platforms you're probably used to. We have a hybrid approach to CI/CD. So instead of handing over all your source code to some third party to have them test it, BuildKite kind of keeps that in-house for you. So you run these things called agents on servers that you control. And BuildKite is the orchestration piece in CI/CD. So we take your code and we run it on servers that you control and report back the results, which is probably a little bit different than some of the CI/CD tools that you may have played with in the past. So that's the product. the The business itself has been going around for seven years now, um, seven plus years. Uh, we have around 30, 30 staff, and we've just raised. Uh, we've just finished our first raise. Oh. Um, we did a, a, an angel investment in the very, very, very beginning, mm-hmm. but we just did our first Series A, where we raised twenty eight million dollars. Um, the company is valued at two hundred million dollars, and so that's been a bit of a wild ride that we've finished up now, and now we can kind of get back to get back to business. Mm. Well, great. So, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was to get the perspective of somebody inside a business building tools for CI and CD. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty much about all the stuff I talk about on the podcast. So, you know, you mentioned Bill Kite about the size of like 30 people. So let's start kind of working through what the internal workflows are for deploys. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say that hypothetically, I'm an I'm a new person at Belkite. I made my first commit and I want to take this commit or deploy this commit to production. Mm-hmm. Can you walk me through that process? Yeah, we'll do. So, so Belkite has been practicing continuous deployment since I think commit three or four. So I still remember basically running seven years ago, running Rails new <laughs> dash dash database Postgres dash dash skip test unit and whatever the command line arguments were, uh-huh. uh, you know, and then git add, git commit, initial commit, bum, done that. And then the next step was setting up continuous deployment. Um, that was my next step because I didn't really feel real until it was on production. And so uh-huh. that's the, the first thing I did was build continuous deployment into it. And so that was kind of step one for BuildKite, which is interesting because it was a real chicken and egg problem that I had was, I was trying to write a CI tool, a CD tool that needed to deploy itself. And so I actually can't remember how I solved that, to be honest, but I did something. And, and I remember I had the build kite, but back then it was called Buildbox. Mm, that's uh, right. But it was, um, and I had to, we had to change the name. It was a whole story there. But uh, yeah, so we had continuous deployment from day one, which meant that when I'd make a change, it could go to production straight away. There was no tests though. There was no test at that point. Tests would come much later in Bill Kite's history because I was, the time I was sort of optimizing, my, my workflow was optimizing just for the building of it. Right. And because it was just me, I could kind of hold the context of all of Bill Kite in my head at once. Uh-huh. And there was only two or three models as well. So that kind of really helped. So we've been doing continuous deployment for, for seven years now. And honestly, it hasn't really evolved all that much, believe it or not. That's a, that's amazing though. Like that just, yeah. like I hate to interrupt, but it's sort of, it comes to one of the themes that's actually been coming up a little bit on the podcast is the idea of starting to work sort of, if you start working that way really early on, it's hard to stop, right? If you yeah. get those practices in place early, you can never go back just because of how important and how powerful they are. Like you said, 
you started working that way to optimize for your development, like how quickly you could iterate your flow of change, you know, as you're building a product, that is actually the most important thing that matters. Yeah. That's definitely like the only thing that matters, right? Yeah, and exactly. Now look, seven years later, it's still there, it's still working. And I bet you you can't imagine working any other way. No, absolutely not. And so the workflow, so if we skip ahead seven years, I'll, I'll give you an idea of how it works today. So uh, a developer at BillKite is making a change. They push it up as a pull request to GitHub. Mm-hmm. When they create that pull request, that will trigger a build on BillKite. Mm. Now, what happens next is BillKite will take that commit and we will run the tests. So BillKite uses RSpec. We have around, I think, 10,000 tests, automated tests at BillKite, mostly made up of model and integration tests. Uh, we have some linting as well. So we have uh, Robocop and ESLint running some bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all those things run, and it takes around five minutes for that process to happen. So we take the aspect test and distribute them across 50 or so agents so we can get the speed that we want. At the end of that process, if it's all good, it'll send back a big green tick to GitHub mm-hmm. and say, hey, this pull request is ready to go. That pull request is then reviewed by peers at BuildCut. Then the merge button becomes, in essence, the deploy button mm. because merging a pull request at BuildKite will trigger a master build, mm. a build of the, the master branch, which then would be deployed when that goes green. Mm-hmm. And so the process kicks off again, runs all the tests again on the master branch, runs all the linting, and then if, if all that's green, it will trigger a deploy. The deploy process is still very, very basic. I think mm-hmm. people would be surprised to learn how basic our deploy process is. It's still SSHing into machines, Git fetching, Git checking out, and restarting Pumas. That's still our deployment process today. That's amazing. I love that so much, actually, because I had another conversation with somebody and we were talking about, like, he was a Rails developer and was talking about, like, hey, should I do Docker and do all this stuff? The point of this thing is that you don't need all this like fancy stuff like Docker and Kubernetes. You can build a really successful business, build a product, just SSH into machine and restart the web server. Like you, so you don't need all of the other stuff on top of that, right? Like there's of course motivating factors, but mm. you know, like if it's working, you don't why change? Yeah, and so that's kind of been our approach for a long time. Now note that there is a bunch of stuff that other tools can give you, which would make it much nicer. I'm not, I'm not trying to put down <laughs> Docker or Kubernetes or anything like that. But for us, it just it, it means that deploys can be super quick. Mm. So we use uh, so we don't use Capistrano, but Capistrano uses a tool called SSH Kit, mm. and that's what we use. We use SSH Kit directly. And if we have just a small Ruby code change that we need to deploy to production, the deploy takes only a few minutes or, or less, mm. and that's still deploying to couple of hundred servers in production. And it's worked out really, really well for us. We don't have an extremely sophisticated rollback system either. Mm-hmm. What we do is we usually roll forward. But you know, for the longest time, I've always thought as, of automated testing as being part of the deploy process. Mm. What do you mean? And so, so people think of those two different phases to shipping software. There's the testing and the deploying. Mm-hmm. I only think of it as deploying. Mm-hmm. And yeah. testing is part of deploy. Exactly. I mean, that's in line with the continuous delivery pipeline model. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So when you start thinking about it like that, then it changes how you think about a lot of things. For example, you don't want a six-hour deploy. Mm. You want a 10-minute deploy. You want a five-minute deploy. So your tests have to be fast. So you have to kind of solve the fast testing problem. Mm-hmm. 
So that's really important to solve. The other part of it that I think the continuous deployment makes for really awesome coding is that when you're an engineer at BuildKite, every line of code you write could be on production in five minutes. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the holy grail that we're trying to get to by all of the stuff that we're talking about here. Yeah, but that doesn't come, like, that can be quite scary. Like, that's a scary thing. The fact that my, I could write user.deleteAll mm. in, in some code and have that run on production very, very quickly. So there's a lot of, you have to try and mitigate that, mitigate risk mm. for each deploy. And there's lots of different ways you do that. Yeah, that's actually a great segue probably into the next bit of the process. Is So we've covered, A, you're doing continuous delivery. That's amazing to especially start mm. a start from that and continue that practice for so long. You have really short lead time from opening PR to get into production, probably under was it under like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Yeah. That, that's yep, yep, yep. I mean, hey, all indicators point to great. So mm. you know, so far. So then you said that continuous delivery is scary. Or this like given that you could get into production so fast, that's scary. Mm-hmm. My fear is that it's the other way around, where if it's taking too long, I'm scared of that, right? So like that five-minute thing that you're talking about, like, hey, that's the that's the normal thing. Yeah. So, but you can only get there and feel safe if you have sufficient uh, A, automated testing, and then B, sort of like risk mitigation practices, like, you know, blue-green deploys or canaries or like these type of things, yeah. as you said, like risk mitigation. So what risk mitigation strategies does BuildKite use for deploys? So so automated testing, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, everything that we build is behind a feature flag. Mm. Everything that we build. So we, we rely heavy, heavy use of feature flags. Mm-hmm. Um, our feature flag system is incredibly basic. We don't have a fancy feature flag system. Our, we build feature flags in one of three ways. Uh, if we're building a new page, we just won't link to the page it'll be a URL. If you know the magic URL to get somewhere, then you, you, you can find a secret part of BuildKite. If you've ever contacted BuildKite support before, chances are that you've been given a secret URL because there's a lot of functionality in BuildKite that many people don't know about because we're building it. And we like to give people access to it sooner. So we give them, here's a secret URL for you to try and play with and to, to solve your oh, problem. I like that. We just won't link to it from anywhere. And then right. the last thing we do is just put a link on the page and then there you go, we've shipped a thing. So that's feature flag number one. Feature flag number two is sometimes for more complex things, we might put a column in the database mm-hmm. to turn the functionality on and off. And, and if we need to turn it on for a customer, we might just go to the, our production console and flip it. Or we use a Redis-based system. There's a mm-hmm. gem called uh, Rollout that we've been using mm. for five years. And I don't think the gem has changed that much, but it doesn't really need to change it. It's, it's very basic. So everything we do, everything we build is behind a feature flag. Even when we're making changes to the internal state machine handler for a build, mm-hmm. we will often put that behind a feature flag and test it for ourselves first. See what happens, everything okay, we might turn on for another customer, another customer, and then we will manually gradually roll out the change. The way this mitigates the risk is that the, the code that we're adding generally is not being used by customers straight away. Mm. They're these like sort of no-op deploys where we deploy some code of production and nothing should change. Right. There should be no visual changes, there should be no functional changes for customers until we decide to turn it on. We also, we don't have a staging environment, which is something that, (laughs) which is good and bad. Uh, But I think that the reason that we don't have a staging environment is because we, it's practically impossible to have your staging environment equal production. It's basically impossible. Indeed. Yeah. And that's because of 
different shaped data in the database. Bill Kite's database is in the, the tens of terabytes. So there's really no way that we can have a copy of that data somewhere, especially with that data to be anonymized. Exactly. That would just be, yeah. we, we couldn't really have that. And, and, and also the, the traffic profile of staging, yeah. of staging environment is very different to production environment. Bill Kite runs around a million requests per minute. So it'd be quite difficult to replicate that That's in a staging awesome. environment. So we don't have that. And we, and we don't have a canary deploy system, but that has bitten us multiple times. Mm. So I think actually this week we are going to start looking into implementing a canary deploy system. And the canary deploy system will be uh, we deploy to a server, make sure that's healthy, and then right. roll the change out to the rest. And that'll, that'll, look, that'll, solve, that'll look for problems where there is a bug in configuration yeah. or you know, there's, a, there's a syntax error or something that just happened to not be called by an automated test. Oh yeah, I've been there. I did a whole episode on it called Pre-Flight Checks. You'd be surprised. So for the listener, I think there's a bit of inside information here is that uh, Keith is talking about, I believe, like sort of the like the back end or the web application part of Billkite, which I guessing is a is a Ruby app or a Ruby on Rails app, right? Uh yeah. I probably should explain how what, what Billkite is. I completely I completely forgot to mention that. Thank you. Uh, Billkite is a Ruby on Rails monolith. Mm. And so we've been a monolith for a while now. Uh, we have, depending on your categorization of microservice, I would say we have two microservices in production. One is a proxy mm-hmm. uh, that all webhooks go through. Basically, if you've ever built, uh, here's a little pro tip for listeners. <laughs> if you have a system that sends out webhooks, you want to make sure that those webhooks can't be sent to 127.0.0.1. Mm. or whatever the EC2 magic URL is, which is 169... Something, 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 yeah. Yeah, you, you want to make sure that your machines can't send to that. And you also want to make sure that people just can't set up DNS entries that point to those things. So we send all webhooks out through this proxy that will sort of resolve the DNS entry uh-huh. and make sure that it's not in, it's in some allowed list of IP addresses. Uh-huh. So that's one service that we have in production. The other one is the... Uh, we run Camo from GitHub, which then turns... HTTP URLs into HTTPS URLs. Mm-hmm. So those are the only two services that we have in production and we have the Rails monolith. But we treat the monolith differently in production depending on the domain. Mm. So agent.buildkite.com is still the monolith. api.buildkite.com is still the monolith. But we have different... So Buildkite uses EC2 and AWS. Yeah. And we have different auto-scaling groups depending on right. the domain. Yeah. yeah. Different different processes. Like if you take the twelve factor up model, you have one code base, but different processes. You can run them in different scales, different vertical scales, horizontal scales. Yeah, that's right. Right. So you yeah. got one big monolith doing the, doing all the stuff, and um, so then to bring it back to the canaries and like the risk mitigation. When I mentioned, you mentioned um, doing the canary to catch like a syntax error, some configure. So for the listener, you know, I did this episode on pre-flight checks specifically about this this exact problem because I also, as a Ruby developer, hit the exact same problem of, oh, you had some code that wasn't actually evaluated until you got to production because, hey, it's a dynamic language. There might be some if statement or some conditional thing. You deploy to some environment, some new code path is executed for the very first time ever, and then it explodes. Naturally, you don't want it to explode and then it like impact the user. So then you do stuff like canaries or pre-flight checks as a way to like mitigate that. Yeah, so we're going to be probably adding one of those very soon. And it's to catch... 
the, the biggest problem we've had in Billcart's history is is webpack related build issues. Oh, you know, no. you will you will deploy to production and then somehow webpack decides to include date.js six or seven times and you don't know until production hits and and then all of a sudden pages don't load and and and, and so it'll hopefully catch those classes of problems. Yes, that's the that's the hope, right? But yeah. that's the actually I'm really enjoying hearing this sort of origin story of the pipeline here because it speaks to the like intent of not adding things until you actually have a problem. Mm-hmm. This is something that I try to convey to other people I talk to and for the listeners also is that the most important tests to add or the most important like adjustments to make are things that actually mitigate known regressions that have actually, you know, that have happened to you. Like if you have a regression, you can write a test or change a workflow in such a way that that regression is never introduced again, mm-hmm. but you have to actually do it in with, you know, with intent and you don't, you can do that with any technology. You know, you don't need to have some, you know, fancy microservices and blah, blah, blah. You can do that with like simple VMs and, ba- you know, like basic stuff, but you have to start with that frame of mind. Yeah. And like I, that, that's the vibe that I'm getting from sort of the software architecture and the delivery process at BuildKite. It was just really, really good to see. And also for the listener, like when Keith has been talking, I've been smiling and grinning and nodding along just to hear how it's all working because you know, this is sort of the sort of the peak that we're like we're trying to get to when we talk about software delivery performance. You know, Keith mentioned lead time, how fast they go from commit to production, their you know ab- ability to iterate quickly, doing continuous deployment. Like these are all really, really important and impactful things that definitely change the way engineers work and ultimately create business success too. I mean, and you're talking about feature flags. It's like you, that's part of like I think one mistake or like sort of fallacy that people fall into is they hear stuff like continuous delivery or continuous deployment and they think, well, yeah, I'll just start deploying to production every day. But sure, if you have A, B, and C, you need this and you need this and you work in such a way, right? And you were talking about, yeah, okay, we don't have staging. You know, there's a lot of people who are probably thinking like, oh my God, how could I, how could you ever do that? Yeah. But if you have feature flags, you have canaries, you have automated tests, then you can go straight to production and not have any fear. Like if you have fear, then you need to change your process. You need to improve your process because you can't work in a fearful environment. Yeah, totally. And that's why, you know, I think at some point you have to kind of trust your tools. You have to trust your tests. If you don't trust your tests, then why are you writing them in the first place? We trust our tests. You know, if, if the tests say, yes, this is a good change, this can go out, then we listen and we say, okay, we're going to trust the tests. Don't let us down. <laughs> if, you, if you're lying to us, we'll delete you. Um, <laughs> And so that's kind of how we've approached it. And, and we've been pretty pragmatic about it. You know, we've, we, we, we make changes when we need to. We, we, we try to learn from our mistakes by doing, you know, internal incident reports. Um, and then we, uh, if you've seen our status page, we've, um, we're, we're kind of very transparent in our incident reports. We try to, we were as open as possible into the sort of the whole, mm-hmm. the whole stack of issues we've had. And, and we learn as well, you know, and, and we, we, we keep it very simple, and that comes with a lot of pros, but there's also a lot of cons with that. Um, but we, we try to fix the cons where we can. Hmm. What uh, what kind of cons do you think? Because when you said cons, like what I started thinking about was this might be a hard thing for new people to grok. Like if new new engineers join the team, it's like, hey, you're doing this. It's sort of like kind of out there in a way. Because like from my perspective, 
I honestly, I don't see any cons. I can't think of any other than like it might be off-putting to some people. At least that was that's kind of my my takeaway. Yeah, I would say the biggest con is just you have to be a bit, little bit brave. You have to be you have to be confident <laughs> in your tests, you know. Uh, and you have to, you know, I find that it changes how I program quite significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to be a much more defensive programmer. I tend to rescue a lot more than I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in if I'm running some code. I'm thinking, hmm, what happens here? If this breaks, what's going to happen to production? Mm-hmm. So when you're using a combination of feature flags, you have to kind of rescue a lot more code. And then you know you can wrap that up in different tools like scientists to make sure that the changes that you're making to production aren't, aren't going to break on you. Mm-hmm. And if they do break on you, at least you know about it. Yeah. Um, the, one of the best feelings in the world, when, I wouldn't say best feelings, but you know the system is working when you push to production and then your exception tracker goes crazy but no customers know the difference. No, no one knows that something <laughs> very bad has happened. It's because you've pushed a change and you think, okay, well, the system's working. I know that change wasn't good. Let's, we, went, we, don't, we generally don't roll back at Bill Cut. Mm-hmm. We generally just roll forward. So if we've got a bit of time, we might just, we will either do a revert commit mm-hmm. in GitHub and revert back the, the pull request, or we will just maybe just fix it really, really quickly mm-hmm. and push the change out to production. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you one question now, we're running out of time, but uh, to get some insight into the future sort of internal structure, and you said you mentioned you mentioned you raised your Series A, got some money, mm-hmm. this is going well, likely going to try to grow the business, maybe hire some more people. So what are your like, initial thoughts on adding more engineers and how does that relate to like team structure and the way that uh, you work right now? Yeah, so people would be surprised to learn that this is the first time that we've we've taken on money, and this is seven years into the journey. We took uh, a very small seed round in the beginning, and that was mostly just to cover our wages. Mm-hmm. Tim, my business partner, uh, Tim's on our wages for the first two years. A little story that that I have is that we once a year we try to go to San Francisco because uh, I'm Australian and I'm based out of Perth, mm-hmm. Australia. And once a year, we try to fly to San Francisco because that's where a lot of our customers are. Mm. And we met with a customer there and we sat down at the table. Uh, you know, there was like a lot of very, very smart people in this room. And they all said, Billkite is the best tool that we've, we've, we've found, but we've not heard of you. And that's a bit of a problem. Who are you? What's going what? this, <laughs> this, is, this is all a bit too scary. This is, is this some, some sort of scam or something? No, uh, no, 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 we're real, we're real. And, and we kept hearing this quite a lot, you know, so we're just kind of rubbish at marketing, mm. honestly. Uh, I think that may be a little bit of, I think Australians tend to be very humble. Um, mm. And I think that maybe our humbleness has become part of the product a little bit. But the raise that we've, we've just done will mostly go to sales, marketing, and really supporting those functions of the business. Mm-hmm. Really helping tell the story of Billkite a little bit more. Uh, in terms of engineering headcount, we don't know if we'll have any. We don't really want to grow that at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think we can kind of do more with less. We don't have big dreams of being a significantly large company because Billkite's been profitable since almost day one as well. Amazing. Yeah, I remember when we came out of beta, I had a credit card form, and that was how I could get traction early on is by telling people, hey, if you like Billkite, can you please pay for it? Uh-huh. And we've been 
we've been growing off profits for seven years. And it's only now it's, we're thinking, okay, well, this, this problem of, of, of people not knowing us, how do we solve it? And, and, and this particular problem, the right solution was uh, capital raise. Mm. And so we, the aim is to take the money and just continue to build a sustainable business uh, and, and grow at the rate that we want to grow. Because we know that when you grow too quick, a <laughs> bunch of problems can happen, especially when you hire a bunch of new people. You know, you the, don't every say. single person. Yeah. Because <laughs> one thing I've learned is that when you hire one new person, it's a whole new team. Uh, it seems very obvious when you say it out loud, but it's not something that I really internalized before we uh-huh. hired people. Uh, and so we don't, we don't have any grand intentions of, of, of going, going great, but we, we are going to use the money into kind of building what's next for BuildKite. And we're kind of excited for what's next. If you think mm-hmm. about what CICD is today as being maybe only 10% of what it could be, then what could it be? Mm-hmm. What is the other 90% of CICD? I don't think any tool has really explored that idea yet, but I think we've got a real good idea of what that is. So watch this space. We're very excited to see what's next. Wow. What a great way to end the conversation. <laughs> I think uh, we'll have to check in in a year and see how you're doing, if the company's grown, and uh, you know if you're still doing continuous deployment, I think you will be. How your future uh, flags. I have no doubt. I have no <laughs> doubt we'll be doing it. You know, how your canaries work and just how, you know, how's it going as you're growing. I think these are the really, really interesting stories to hear from people on the inside of these organizations. Like how, how does software get built in the real world and what's it like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so much fun to talk to you. I wish I had more time to just kind of shoot, just talk all this stuff through with you. It's been so much fun. And, uh, you know, for the listener, I've been grinning and having just such a good time hearing all the things that he's talking about is, you know, I love Bill Kite. It's a great product. And I'm even happier to hear that they are working so well internally and probably having fun doing it. And that's just, what more could you ask for, really? (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. So is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with before we call today? Yeah, so I would encourage people to go check out BuildKite. I think that uh, don't settle for the tool that you've got. There are better tools out there for the job. And I think that BuildKite is that tool you should check it out. So if you you would like to know more, just go to buildkite.com. Yeah. And I can say with confidence that I know BuildKite is the right tool for the job. Like if you're unhappy, like with the tool that you're using or you're curious, like just try BuildKite. It's great. It gets out of your way and allows you to solve your problems. Like if you know what you're doing, BuildKite is fantastic. You'll not find a better tool than BuildKite. Like I use it. I love it. You've already heard me say that. Just try it. You'll like it. It's amazing. So Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, talk to you next time, hopefully. Thanks, Adam. See you later. That wraps up this batch. Visit smallbatches.fm for the show notes. Also find Small Batches FM on Twitter and leave your comments in the thread for this episode. More importantly, subscribe to this podcast for more episodes just like this one. If you enjoyed this episode, then tweet it or post it to your team Slack or rate this show on iTunes. It all supports the show and helps me produce more small batches. Well, I hope to have you back again for the next episode. So until then, happy shipping. Are you feeling stuck trying to level up your skills deploying software? Then apply for my software delivery dojo. My dojo is a four-week program designed to level up your skills building, deploying, and operating production systems. Each week, participants will go through theoretical and practical exercises led by me designed to hone the skills needed for continuous delivery. 
I'm offering this dojo at an amazingly affordable price to Small Batches listeners. Spots are limited, so apply now at softwaredeliverydojo.com. Like the sound of Small Batches? This episode was produced by Podsworth Media. That's podsworth.com.